It's a beautiful fall day. Some really important people were born today. My husband, Joel, it's his birthday. And Pastor John. So make sure you wish them both a happy birthday in real life as well as digitally today. So we're on this series talking about um, how God, our God is too safe. And this morning, I want to tell you three stories about three different people to illustrate to you that true skeptics doubt not to excuse belief, but to develop robust belief. All right? And the, the three guys I'm going to tell you about today are Thomas, um, who earned a really bad nickname that stuck with him for centuries, Elijah, a famous prophet with some serious guts, and a wise builder that Jesus spoke about. And for the sake of our story today, I'm just going to name him Sai. Is that all right with everybody? <laughs> but first, let's talk about this guy. Put him up on the screen. Who is this famous athlete? Yell it out. Jerome Bettis, Jerome Bettis, Bettis. And, it, and his, uh, his nickname is The Bus, right? Now, Jerome Bettis earned this nickname when uh, the Notre Dame school newspaper thought that the oversized running back looked like a bus as he ran people over running to the end zone. Now, I don't know if Jerome likes to be called the bus or not, but I don't think he has much of a vote because clearly half of America identifies him as his nickname rather than his given name. When I just asked you, you chanted it in unison. Now, the Bible doesn't describe Thomas as doubting Thomas, actually. He has one moment, one quick moment that gets recorded that he moves past pretty easily Yet he has become our poster child for thousands of years for doubting the Son of God. You know, there's actually a lot of praiseworthy things about Thomas. Um, when Jesus hears of his friend Lazarus being sick uh, in Bethany, Jesus says, let's go to Lazarus and let's return there. And the disciples say, whoa, 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 people want to kill you there. Uh, we, don't, we don't really want to go there with you. And Thomas speaks up in John 11. He says, let us go with them that we may, we, we may die with him. Those are hardly the words of a chronic doubter. I feel like he must have resented the nickname Doubting Thomas. For, so when you get to heven, don't call him that, you know. He, 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 did it, he didn't earn that name. I think as a woman, I would resent the nickname The Bus. <laughs> Please don't ever call a woman that as they earn that nickname. And I think if Thomas was here today and he could defend himself, he would say something like this. You know, we all have doubt. We all have questions. That's never going to change. For, even if you're a believer for, for all of your life, that's never going to change. And those who claim they don't probably aren't telling you the whole truth. Because sometimes doubting is not a lack of faith, but rather an expression of it. Sometimes doubt is merely to insist that God is to be taken seriously and not frivolously, and that the questions we are asking are not to disprove the miracle or that we don't believe the miracle, but to give credit to the miracle giver, to give credit to the person that actually did it. You know, the scripture says there's going to be false prophets. It says that. There's going to be people that claim things are of God that aren't. There were then and there will be today, and, and there will be in the future. You know, you see many times on, um, sometimes TV evangelists claiming that if you send in money, they'll mail you a miracle. 
Mine is like a BMW, you know, coming in a box to my house. There it is. Um, or, or if you hear about a miraculous healing trending on Google or, or maybe an anointed towel on QVC or whatever. But Thomas would say this, those accounts of miracles and claims might be true occurrences. I'm not saying they're not true because God can heal. God can anoint a towel. God can do those things. He is more than able to do those things. That's his faith talking. But they need to be sifted and probed and tested. And that's his holy skeptic talking. Because here's why. God isn't afraid of our questions. He will always end up proving to be God because he is. He is. There is this age-old tradition of biting gold to see if it's authentic. So if you, know, you, you bite your gold and if the teeth marks were left in the gold, then it was fool's. But if there were no teeth marks, then it was the real thing. And Jesus invites the skeptic to bite into the gold to see if it's authentic. Even if miracles are genuine occurrences, they need to be unfolded theologically and biblically. And that's what Thomas was trying to say when he got this terrible nickname for all, for all of time. There is part of our Christian heritage that says, you know, I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe though I have not seen. I'm going to believe with blind faith. And that's, that's awesome. We need that. But Thomas represents the other equally needed part of our Christian heritage, which is unless I see, I will not believe. So God, show up. Show up. Because we know you can do these things. So show up. More than ever, the strength of evangelical faith has to draw from both sides of the heritage. It's a balance. Skepticism actually means to look at a matter closely, to scrutinize it with great care, and to study and based on this definition, what the church needs is not less, but more skepticism. If you just tuned in right there, you didn't get it. But I'm telling you, we, we need to decide what is real because God is real. Biblical faith is not sentimental. It's not sloppy. It's not vague. It actually excludes more than it embraces. And having faith doesn't mean turning off your brain and blindly believing everything you hear and read. That's not what faith is. You will have questions. And those questions will lead you to the God that Thomas met. The God who is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-loving and almighty. And he will prove to be true and worthy and to be trusted. And he invites us to bite into that gold and find that he is who he says he is. That he can do the things that he says he can do. So what do I do if I have questions? What, what do I do if I have doubts? What do I do if I've been following Jesus for a very long time, but I'm still not even sure about certain things? Well, do like Thomas did and ask them. Ask them to Jesus. We're going to read John 20, 24 through 29. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand to his side, I will not believe. And a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, so see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. And then Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus addresses that connection between seeing and believing. And he says this, seeing 
doesn't remove the necessity of belief. You still need faith to see. Seeing is not believing. We walk by faith, not by sight. When we get to see, it's a bonus. No matter what miracles or signs God will show us, if we don't have the faith to contain it, it will create distance instead of intimacy. In the scriptures, over and over, people saw miracles but still didn't believe. Why? Because they didn't have enough faith to contain it. So first we need to work on that robust faith, building up that belief so that when the miracle happens, we can believe it. You know, I find it remarkable that Jesus could have chosen a hundred ways to tell Thomas that he was really, could have done another miracle. He could have uh, lit up the sky with his name. You know, he could do anything. And you know what he did? He said, look at these nail holes and these spear marks. Look at what I did for you on the cross, Thomas. This is what I did for you. And that, that is what he chose, his wounds, to tell Thomas that he believed. Questions are okay. They're never going away. But where are your questions taking you? And are they leading you to a robust belief? So in the life of Elijah, many people were living idolatrous lives. They were worshiping and they were serving false gods. And Elijah was called by God to confront a very evil king named King Ahab. So God rises up Elijah who confronts the king. And, and basically Elijah says, um, because of your idolatry, God sent me to tell you it's not going to rain until God tells me to pray and ask it to rain. And so there's this major drought and tons of people are dying and it's famine and it's, it's the worst thing that you could imagine. And the king is responsible for this because he's the king of the land. So everyone's blaming the king for all these terrible things that are happening. And the king knows that if Elijah would just pray, everything would be okay. So it's about three years into the drought. And Ahab and Elijah meet face to face. Now, I, I picture this probably like in a Walmart parking lot or something. That's where all great conflicts come to a head. <laughs> and um, Ahab says... It's your fault that this is happening. All these people are dying. There's this huge drought because of you, Elijah. Just pray the prayer, you know, just say it so that this happens. And Elijah looks at him and says, no, it, this isn't my fault. I've not made trouble for Israel. You are committing the sin of idolatry. You're putting false gods ahead of the one true God. And we both know that false gods don't deliver. And Elijah went before the people and he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Own up. Where's your robust belief? God isn't afraid of your questions. He will always end up proving to be God because he is. And Elijah is saying to the people, quit, quit wavering, quit, quit claiming Christ and living like you don't know him. Quit doubting God and never asking the questions to figure it out. Quit settling for false counterfeits that will never, ever, ever satisfy. Take a side dethrone the counterfeits. I picture if Elijah was here today, I feel like this is what he would say. You know, if money is God, if, if, it, if it's really God, then sell out to it. If, if material possessions, if they're really the most important thing, then go into debt, steal what you need, store up boats, cars, planes, Apple products, work all your life long so that you can earn money, spend no time with anyone else so that you can spend it and make that the priority. Just do it. Or, or if it's your image, if that's truly God, then, then don't just kind of do it. I mean, get in the gym three hours a day. Ignore the commitments that you make to grow spiritually. You know, 
tan it, tweak it, tat it, pull it, tuck it, lift it, twist it, curl it, color it, whatever. I mean, whatever it is, do it. And just ignore the fact that you're going to die because you're going to. And then that would totally disqualify the, all this time and energy and the God of your appearance that you're putting in. Just choose something. Sell yourself out to something. But if Christ, the Son of God, is the one true God, then quit your wavering. Serve him with all your heart. Let your life reflect him. Let your finances show it. Let your time show it. Let your ambitions show it. Seek to know him inside and out. Be desperate for his ways and his thoughts for your life. Give all your time and energy to chasing after this relationship. Elijah knew that robust faith started by dethroning the counterfeits. And so Elijah says to Ahab, let's have a showdown. Good old-fashioned, my dad can beat up your dad. Let's just see who wins in the cage. <laughs> he says, let's just do that. Here's my bull, here's your bull. They put it on two altars, and they say, you call upon the name of your Lord and tell him to burn it up, and I'll call on the name of my Lord and tell him to burn it up, and we'll just see what happens. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And they're thinking, Elijah, you idiot. <laughs> do you know who you're dealing with? Baal is the God of fire. It's like a specialty, if they have specialties. And they're, he's thinking, they're probably going, you're, you're going to get smoked, silly prophet, you know. So the people, they start shouting and dancing. And, 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 God, and there's God, burn up our bowl, burn up this bowl. And they shouted all day long. And sadly, I, I believe that many of us, we don't, we don't dance for false gods all day long. But many of us pursue counterfeit things our whole life. Dancing and praising and serving and worshiping the false gods that promise but never, ever, ever deliver all lifetime long. And Elijah says to his people, you know what, just for added kicks, pour four large jars of water on, on the sacrifice and do that three times. And so he soaks it because you know what, he wants to make sure that everyone knows that this isn't a magic trick. It's God, and God isn't afraid of our questions because he's going to end up proving he's God because he is. And so there's a little bit more to the story. You can read about it in 1 Kings 18, but basically we get to the point where at the end of the day, uh, the, the people danced and they cut themselves and nothing happened, and Elijah is about ready for the, the end, and, and Elijah doesn't dance or cut himself or do everything he could to get God's attention. He just stands there and he prays. And he prays with robust faith because he had dethroned the counterfeits in his life. And I'm going to read to you from 1 Kings 18, 37, where it says his prayer. He says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that these people will know, O Lord, that you are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Can you see the power and the beauty in those statements? Answer me, O Lord, reveal yourself. Show us who you are, not the counterfeit fire that false gods promise, but the real deal. May we feel the heat of your love. Why? Why do I want you to do this? Not so I can like show this big display of who God is because he could do it. I'm not trying to show him off, but that's so you may turn the hearts of the people back again because they used to know you. They used to walk with you. They used to serve you. They used to worship you, but false gods have taken their place. Turn their hearts back. That's what we want for this display of your power to do that. 
And this morning, I, I, I think there's some of us here today that have walked with God at one point, but, but we've walked away and we've put false gods or some combination of false gods on the throne of our life. And, and today, through worship and, and the word of God, he's trying to reveal himself to you. And he is reminding you that you have a destiny to fulfill. And, and, and in the power that he is displaying, he wants you to know that you can turn your heart back to him again. And the scripture accounts that the fire fell and it burned everything up. It licked up the water in the trench. It was just amazing. And there, there was a purging in the camp and sin was removed and, and chains were broken and scales fell off men's eyes and strongholds were torn down and doubts were crushed. And what Satan had spent a lifetime building up was pulled down in a few moments through a man who was consecrated to God and living in holiness with questions but also with robust belief, knowing that God can answer those questions. And hearts were turned back and counterfeit gods were dethroned and God was so pleased. And right after that, Elijah said, listen close, I hear the rain. Uh, I went to school in um, Springfield, Missouri have you ever been there, been, gone to school there, some of you? I know at least two on the front row. Would you participate here? Okay, <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> all right, so the Midwest, you, you, you all know this, <laughs> is known for their intense tornadoes, okay, mostly because it's so flat. You may have heard recently of that terrible uh, storm in Joplin where lots of people were um, uh, very tragically killed. And um, one morning I looked out my window and there was this strange green color in the sky. There was like a tree bent over. My roommates were not phased. They're from Missouri. They're just like doing their makeup. I'm like, something's not good here, guys. And um, I had a test in earth and space science. So I walked over to that building. Um, the test, I remember very specifically, it was about classifying rocks. Extremely useful in my now everyday life <laughs> that I know what rocks are. Um, but in the middle of the test, pff, the lights go out. And we're in the middle of this building, and no one had, like, iOS 7 with the flashlight. It just wasn't then. So no one knew what was going on. It was really scary. And so the teacher says, go down the stairs to the lobby uh, with your pencils and bring your rocks. And I just remember, like, us carrying these down. But anyway, we learned there was a tornado that had just passed by campus and that the electricity and stuff had gone out. And, I mean, I was pretty scared, like, I don't know about here, but in Pennsylvania, tornadoes kill people. We go to the basement, you know, like, that's what we do. And we you know, make sure that we're safe. And the teacher says, you know, just keep taking your test by the light of the window. So we're standing by the windows during the tornado. Uh, it was quite the, it's very smart move there. But anyway, when I left class after I took the, the test, um, the Sunoco sign from the gas station, which was like 20 feet high, those really big ones, was, had been completely blown over by the tornado. And uh, it had actually spun less than a football field from my classroom building during my rock classifying. And um, it was a crazy storm. Thank, thank the Lord we were okay and, and no one was, was hurt, but it was just kind of old news for those Missouri people. In Matthew 7, Jesus is delivering the Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about a storm. And, and in this collection of sermons he's put together, the topics include anger and lust and divorce and marriage and loving your enemies and all these really practical things. And he finishes the Sermon on the Mount with this parable in Matthew 7. We're just going to put that side picture up too. Well, Okay. Maybe the parable is more biblical. Sorry. Um, so, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on a rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Now can we put Sai up? <laughs> so the concept of this parable is this. The story Jesus told, thank you, is easy to understand. Rocks, good, right? Rocks are sturdy. They're hard. They're unmoving. Sand is shifting. It's flaky. It's unstable. Pick the rock, right? Simple. That one's a pretty easy one to translate. But here's the part of the parable that is deeper and noteworthy. That the storm reveals what foundation we have built. That the storm defines if we have been wise or foolish. And there's really no telling before the storm. You can act and dress and look like a wise man, but be shoveling sand underneath your house nonstop. But when the storm comes, your cover is blown. In this parable, both the wise and the foolish builders face the storm. And I think that's important to see here. Pastor Jason's going to talk about this a little more next week. But the wise man, just by making good choices, didn't get to opt out of the storm. You may have never smoked a cigarette or been exposed to tobacco in your whole life, but still get lung cancer. You may be completely pure before you get married, saving yourself for your spouse, but still not be able to conceive a child. I don't get it. I don't, I don't like it. But it's life, and we can't avoid the storm. Everyone will face them. Everyone will be subject to some trial or storm. And some of those storms come in the form of confusion and loneliness and unanswered prayer and storms of doubt and questions. And the wise builder built his house on a rock and the foolish one built his house on sand. And when the storm came, their foundations were exposed. Here's the difference between being a skeptic and a holy skeptic. Doubts that turn into robust belief, prepare you for the storm. There is space for healthy skepticism if it leads you to the foundation on the rock. Remember, Jesus spoke this parable after he had just told the people all about the anger and lust and divorce and marriage and all these things that he says that we should do. And when we listen to God and do what he says, we build our foundation on a solid rock. And if we want to prepare for life storms, if we want to prepare for the doubt and the questions, we've got to hear God and obey him. And the first most important part is the hearing. You've got to listen. You've got to listen intentionally. It's not easy. You have to want to be a better listener. You have to clear the distractions in your life so you can hear God. And you've got to hear what God wants to say to you. Uh, we sing this song a lot at Kailfa, um, and John sings it here, and the lyrics are, I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. I want to look right at you. I want to sing right to you. And those lyrics are about Jesus. Jesus, we want to hear you. We want to listen. We don't want to act like you're not even in the room. We want to sing right to you. We don't want to talk about who you are, but never listen to what you have to say. We want to hear you so we can have robust faith and prepare for the storm. James 1.22 reveals the other part. He says, don't merely listen to the word and hear the word, but 
and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Do it. Do what it says. I love this. The definition of maturity is doing something even when you don't feel like it. And spiritual maturity is doing spiritual things for your soul even when you don't feel like it. Have you ever had someone in your life that you, um, you try to talk to, but they just kind of blow you off? Maybe you give them advice or suggestions or opinions, but they always do the opposite. Quit elbowing your spouse right now. But you kind of get to the point where you're like, you know what? I can only tell them so many times I'm not going to give my opinion because they never take it. Shake your head if you're like, yeah, I've, there's been someone in my life like that. All right, well, sometimes I wonder if that's how God feels precisely. I wonder if when we hear his word and we know his commands, but we just continually blow him off, he just becomes a little silent. And he becomes a little gunshine, and he's just waiting for us to hear it and then do it to start speaking again. It's not optional. Change is required. The more we fail to act, the less likely we will ever do it. And if all we ever do is, is feel the emotion and absorb it, but don't act on it, we're not building robust belief. We're shoveling sand underneath our house. God's word says, hear it and then do it. And some of our doubt and our skepticism problems are trust issues. We can hear it, but we don't want to do it because we're not, we're not so sure about it. God has the right to establish rules and ways of living, and he owes us no explanation. He knows best. And I don't understand all the reasons why things are the way they are, and I still have questions, but my God knows best. And he puts boundaries and gates and expectations in place to protect us. And he wants us to stand firm when the rains come and the streams rise and it beats against the house, and he gives us a picture of what that looks like. I think it's so beautiful that in this, in this parable, we encounter a God who wants to protect us from the storms of life. He desires to protect us from the storm, so he gives us a tip. <laughs> you know, he tells us, this is how you do it. I'm going to close with this illustration. Have any of you ever been to San Francisco, California, and seen the Golden Gate Bridge? Here's a picture of it if you haven't. It spans almost a mile long, 4,200 feet. Also in San Francisco, there is six fault lines that run through the region. The most notable and recognizable is the San Andreas Fault. And um, the fault, that fault runs under the Santa Cruz Mountains and up through the peninsula and, and directly beneath the Golden Gate Bridge. And based on the most recent report, geologists estimate that there's about a 70% chance that a huge earthquake will hit San Francisco in the next 30 years. And do you know where the safest place to be during the earthquake is? On the Golden Gate Bridge. Feet from the fault line where the earthquake will incise. If you're in San Francisco that day, you should hope that you're driving on that bridge. Because the foundation of that bridge is dug so deep, thought through so thoughtfully, it is so firm, it's not going anywhere, and it is created for earthquakes. The proximity of the bridge to the San Andreas Fault places it at risk for a significant earthquake. Yet it will be the best place to stand when that storm comes. And I believe that your life can be that way too. You can be a holy skeptic like Thomas, gutsy like Elijah, because your God will always come through, and wise like Sai. And you can develop robust belief that will guide you through your questions. So the bad news is, we will face doubts as we walk with God. 
But the good news is we can trust him. I invited some of my um, Kyle students here this morning um, to help illustrate trusting God, and you're going to enjoy this. They're all just super talented and using their, their gifts for the Lord. So will you stand up? I'm going to pray for you. Jesus, I thank you for today, and I thank you that you are helping us trust you more. And I ask, God, that just as we close today's service, that your spirit would be with us. Lord, that we could understand just more deeply and, and, and widely and, and um, how great your love is for us, God, and how much we can trust you in those times that we don't understand. And we can trust you with our doubts, and we don't have to have um, everything figured out, God. All we have to know is that you are trustworthy. And God, that, that you will come through. And Lord, that your God and the promises that you make will always deliver. Father, in these next few moments, would you just increase our faith and help us trust you? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. What screws us up most is the picture in our head of how it's supposed to be. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you can't see God's hand, trust his heart. All I have seen teaches me to trust the creator for all I have not seen. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And when I wait, you strengthen my heart. God can see a thousand things that we cannot see. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen, but don't be afraid. It is when we are at our darkest hour, when we can see no evidence that God loves us or that he is even there to listen our prayers, much less answer them, and yet we still obey. It is then that the devil is reminded that his cause is lost. When doubt and fear and questions crowd in, when they cause confusion and they destroy clarity, hold on because God knows what he's doing. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You still trust and you trust the engineer. The end of ourselves is the beginning of God. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus and to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and not your own understanding. For the word of the Lord is right and true, and he is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made their starry host by the bread of his mouth. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. But I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? When I am afraid, I will trust you. 
one day this pain will make sense to you. And I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you, how I've proved you over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust you more. Then Jesus said to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. God knows best. I don't understand all the reasons why things are the way they are. I still have questions, but God knows best. God desires to protect us from the storm. And those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. I will trust God even in the silence. I will trust God even in the storm. I will trust God's timing because he makes all things beautiful in his time. And I am so glad I learned to trust thee. Precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that thou art with me and will be with me to the end. Faith is not the belief that God will do what you want. It is the belief that God will do what is right. In God we trust. In everything I will trust my God always. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble and he cares for those who trust in him. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. God can hear you. Please take from me my life when I don't have the strength to give it away to you, Jesus. I may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail, but my God, you never will. Don't ask God to guide your steps if you're not willing to move your feet. Give me faith to trust what you say, that you're good and your love is great. I'm broken inside, but I give you my life. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I trust you. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. Yeah. 
trust Him more. Oh, for grace to trust Him more. Oh, for grace to trust Him more. Give God a praise in this place this morning. grab hands with the neighbor, even across the aisles if you can reach. Would you just grab hands with the person next to you? It's community. We're friendly. It's okay. You can do that. It's all right. Father, in this place this morning, Lord, you have have stirred us. Um, God, you have stirred us in such a way Lord, that, God, we do not want to walk out of here the same. We do not want to walk out of here the same, Father. Even now in this place, Lord, uh, Lord, as these, uh, God, as we, are, as we are looking forward, Father, um, God, be ordering, be ordering our steps. Lord, may we go forth from this place actually trusting in you with our lives, making decisions to follow you making clear decisions to follow you, that we are planting our feet upon the rock as we have heard today, as we have heard today. And like Elijah, Lord, knowing that if we put our trust in you, Lord, for your name's sake, God, that you will never fail us, that you will never fail us. God, so we go forth in faith this morning and trusting in you. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Have a wonderful day.